What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the second episode of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Today, we're going to be focusing on the rumor mill. Obviously, we know from Friday, Neil O'Shea getting fired from the Blazers since 2012. He's been their GM, got fired for contract detrimental to the team. That's going to open up a lot of questions about Dame. He's been in the rumor mill all year. Let's really see kind of how that breaks down, whether he's going, CJ's going. We know some changes are coming. Also, Pacers, they're battling between a rebuild or a retool after a really, really poor start to the season. Right now, they're in the lower part of the lottery and don't really know where that's going to go. And a little birdie out here is saying that Seattle, they're coming back to expansion. Date? Who knows? Let's get into it. First, let's focus on a little weekend recaps and key games that happened. Let's hop right into it. We got Bulls versus Nets on Saturday. Bulls 111, Nets 107. Big combination for the high-scoring duo of Levine and DeMar, finishing with 60 points, outpacing Durant and Harden. Durant finishing with 28. Harden shooting a very bad 5 of 21, 14 points, but extremely impressive. 14 assists to no turnovers, even when he's not scoring or playing his best. Probably not playing in defense anyway, but also he's always going to have an impact on the game. He's always going to be a threat. Lonzo Ball with the dagger to put away the Nets for three. Only shot of three for ten, but that three put him away to give the Bulls a victory and also lock up an early number one seed in the East. Then we're going to hop over to Sunday to the shock of the weekend. The poor single-digit winning Spurs beat the number one seed Warriors 112-107. We are focusing on Deontay Murray, who has been obviously incredible to start the year. He's, in my opinion, an all-star so far. I know it's early, but he is the lone bright spot from the Spurs team, who is young and kind of finding their identity in Popovich's potentially last year. Helped shut down Steph, who, yes, he scored 27 points, but he shot 7 of 28 from the field and 5 of 17 for 3. Deontay Murray was constantly on him all night. Derek White, a really good game. Great combos, combo guard, scored 25 points in the Spurs victory. We're hopping over to an intense game for my Cleveland Cavaliers. Unfortunately, took the loss between the Utah Jazz and a great comeback game after being down upwards of 15 in the fourth quarter. They came back. Jazz win 109-108 after a back-to-back 30-point game from Darius Garland, who is coming out and playing absolutely incredible with Colin Sexton being out. He is stepping up, being the focal point of that offense, running everything. Him and Jared Allen look incredible. Evan Mobley stepping up. Jared Allen got his 14th double-double of the season, but... The talk of the night has to be Donovan Mitchell. He was scoring on anybody. Didn't matter who was guarding him. He was doing everything and carrying that offense. And while I talk a lot of junk about the Jazz, they are out there. They win. You got to tip their hat. Then to my personal favorite game of the weekend, the Joel Embiid-Kelly Oubre matchup that we've all been looking for in the 76ers 127-124 overtime win against the Hornets. Joel embiid when healthy, is in my opinion, the best player in basketball. He can do literally anything. Shooting, playing defense, a pure, unadulterated, two-way threat. Going for 43, 15, and 7. Yes, I know Joel has not been healthy and is not a supporting cast that he should. It's a weird fit with Ben Simmons, but that's not the point. When he is healthy and he is on his game, there is not a single player in the NBA that can stop him. I am impressed by the, by the Hornets with Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball being out with COVID protocol. A lot of guys stepped up. They had seven players in double digits. And I know the 76ers are kind of a, a weird fit right now, but 
they're still a title contender. They're still out there. As long as Joel Embiid's healthy, they're going to be a tough out at any point. And the Hornets, they played. They battled. And it was a great it was a great game to watch and super exciting if you got League Pass or any kind of streaming service. That's it for the weekend recap. We are going to focus a lot, a lot on that rumor mill because it is complete breaking news. And it could shift the league in so many different ways. And that's just the effect that a superstar has. On Friday, December 3rd, Neil O'Shea was fired from the Trailblazers GM position that he's held since 2012. A month after that, he drafted Dame Lillard sixth overall. So Dame has not known a single GM in his career besides Neil O'Shea. And that's going to open up the door to a lot of rumor mill. I know Dame has kind of essentially been shooting down every single rumor of one to leave, even after Neil O'Shea got fired. You know, you got Woj coming out saying that he's unhappy. You got everyone else saying that he's coming out unhappy. You got Kevin O'Connor making trade rumors and everything along those lines and all these trade machines. That, well, that's just what it is. You know, the Trailblazers just do the same thing over and over and over, wash and repeat, and constantly just roll out the same role players every single year. You constantly have Yusuf Nurkic starting at center. CJ McCollum has been his number two the entire, pretty much the entirety of his career, but you're not getting any results. They made it to one Western Conference Finals and got swept. They have done essentially nothing besides that. And you can call it a fluke, very similar like how the Hawks were last year when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, you got to play the cards you're dealt. So, yeah, they made it. But at what point do you say, this is not working? This is just not where we need to be. We have this superstar in Dame Lillard. He is an incredible talent, obviously. We understand that. But if you're not going to move CJ McCollum, if you're not going to move Yusuf Nurchich, what's the point? Are you just constantly going to be, right now, you're in the playoff, the play-in tournament, you're not going to be a top six seed. You're not going to be a top four seed. Are they going to beat the Jazz? Are they going to be the Warriors? Are they going to be the Suns? Will they beat the Mavs? The Nuggets? Like These Blazers don't scare anybody. They have the worst defense in the league. They are ranked dead last. In the past five years, they've ranked 24th, 26th, 27th, 28th, and now 30th. They're not a good defensive team when you constantly start Dane Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Yusuf Nurkic. Nurkic is not a defensive center. He's an offensive-minded. It reminds you a lot of Enos Cantor. He's out here. He can score the ball. He can pass a little bit. And he can rebound. He's not a defensive center in any way, shape, or form. Dame has never played with a defensive center. So for some reason, the Blazers are like, oh, I know what we can do. Let's go get Cody Zeller. Let's go get Larry Nance. Let's have Robert Covington, who hasn't really been good since 2018. What's the plan? What are we doing here in Portland? Right now, the first two names that have come out for the GM spot, you have their intern GM right now, but the top two names have been Scott Perry for the Knicks, who has been wanting Dame Lillard in New York for the past two years, has been openly wanting that without, obviously, focusing on tampering. He's been openly wanting Dame Lillard and spoke very highly of Dame Lillard. So if you can't get him, join him. Scott Perry can go out there and get Dane Lillard, and I'm assuming that with all the decisions that he's made with the Knicks of has no problem signing for Edens, has no problem making trades, he'll go out there and immediately make a decision of getting rid of CJ McCollum or getting rid of Nurkic. I can't imagine he trades Dane, but I imagine that he's going to go in there and try and make some changes if that were a position that he would be in. And another name that was interesting when I first thought, and I didn't really think it would happen, was Tayshaun Prince. Tayshaun Prince has been a special advisor to the GM for the Grizzlies in 2017, and obviously the new head coach of the Trailblazers, Chauncey Billups. They obviously have an incredible relationship from their time of winning a championship with the Pistons. 
is that something that can happen? But also the question is, with Olshay gone and Billups being Olshay higher, do they even keep Billups? That's a lot of the question because Chauncey Billups is very well regarded in the basketball world. If you guys remember back in 2017 when they got rid of the GM and the Cleveland Cavaliers, when David Griffin was gone, Chauncey Billups was offered the GM position in Cleveland. Chauncey Billups is a very, very, very well-regarded basketball name. And I don't think that the Blazers would get rid of him. And if they do respect him that much, at least in an ownership perspective, that I can see them listening to Chauncey in a recommendation of bringing in Tayshaun Prince and they can work together. And it's always good when you have a GM-coach relationship that works. But he's very inexperienced. Does Tayshaun Prince come in and make a change? Does he come in and make a trade? We don't know. You know, he's done a great job. The Grizzlies have drafted well. They've moved well. They've traded well. It's been great so far. They're kind of creating like that next era of grit and grind, even though the defense is absolutely terrible. But they have talent in John Morant, Desmond Bain, DeAndre Melton, Darren, Jaron Jackson Jr. They have talent. Dylan Brooks. They've brought it in, and Tayshaun Prince has had a hand in that. Is he going to come and do that in Portland? I don't know, because it's going to take a veteran to kind of come out and do that. You really don't see these young GMs come in. You saw Kobe Altman in the first couple of years. Yeah, you made those trades when LeBron was there, but how much of that was LeBron versus how much of that was Kobe? Once LeBron left, the Cavs kind of sat on their hands. They really made trades. Yeah, they traded for Andre Drummond, but you guys saw how well that turned out. The question is, at what point do you just sit there? Dame Lillard has come out and said that he wants to play with Ben Simmons. Not a lot of players have come out and said they want to play with Ben Simmons. Ben wants to play with defensive first wings. He has not had a good defensive team his entire career. He has named players like Ben Simmons. He's named players like Jalen Brown. He's named Aaron Gordon. Don't really hear that very often. But that's where his focus is. He wants to win, and he wants to win in Portland. So if you are the GM, the acting GM of the Trailblazers, what are you doing? What moves are you making? In my opinion, the first move you have to make is getting rid of C.J. McCollum. McCollum has proven that he can go get his own offense as well as create secondary playmaking for others. But is he that lead guy? The answer is no. He's never made an all-star team. He's under that subcategory of he's there, he's a great number two, he's an incredible number three, but he's not a number one. He's out there and will give you secondary offense, but understand that he has limitations. He's six foot three, but a buck ninety. He has never played really good defense in his life. But also, is that just from being in Portland or just playing a line alongside another small guard? Bring CJ into a team like I know the answer, Philadelphia. You trade him and a couple firsts for Ben Simmons. Daryl Morey will say yes. He'll get his All Star level. There's already interest there, where Daryl Morey offered Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum and six first round picks slash pick swaps. We all know that is absolutely outrageous. And obviously as this goes on, Ben Simmons' value gets less and less. So if you incorporate CJ McCollum, potentially two first for Ben Simmons, because yes, he is an all NBA caliber talent, while CJ McCollum unfortunately has not even close to reached that level and he's 30 years old. So you are kind of reaching that max cap right there of his value. That works for both teams. The Blazers can actually roll out a defensive roster. They can roll out a team. You can play multiple options. You can put out Ben as a small ball five with Draymond Green. 
Dame has spoken so highly of Draymond and loved playing with him in the Olympics. They won gold. He got a taste of what it's like to win. So if you roll out Ben in that small ball five roll, you can roll him on the four with Larry Nance. You can actually play Nurkic and not lose a lot on defense because that's just how good Ben is on defense. He can play one through five. And also, Dame can play hero ball. If you run Dame and Ben Simmons in a pick and roll and give it to Ben as the roller, Ben's eyes aren't looking at the basket as seen that he won't dunk on Trey Young. He's looking around. He's finding shooters. You have a Faraday Simons. Yes, Covington is not what he used to be. He can still knock down shots. Larry Nance has proven that he is a capable three-point shooter. The list goes on and on. Norman Powell can shoot threes. This team has offense. They just don't have defense. If you bring in Ben Simmons, you change the complete identity of this team. And that is insane. I know now with the emergence of Tyrese Maxey, maybe CJ McCollum isn't necessarily the best fit right now. But Seth Curry... I'm not necessarily too sure that he is a championship-winning starting two-guard, but if you move Seth Curry with the year that he's having right now to the bench and you give him the ability to have run instant offense, you're rolling out a lineup of Tyrese Maxey, CJ McCollum, Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, and Joel Embiid. I know Matisse Thibel is not really shown next to anything on offense, but when you have two score-first secondary playmaking guards in Tyrese Maxey and CJ McCollum, as well as an absolute dominant center in Joel Embiid and more secondary scoring from Tobias Harris. You don't need a single lick of offense from T. Stiebel. You need him to make smart passes, make the right play, and lock down the player's best, I'm sorry, the opposing team's best player. That's what Thibel's out there for. He's out there to piss off Kevin Durant. He's out there to piss off Giannis. He's out there to piss off James Harden and so on and so forth. DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, the list goes on and on. That's what he's there for. You have so much offense in that lineup, and you get Joel Embiid a lead pick-and-roll combo scoring guard in C.J. McCollum and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, where Tobias Harris doesn't have to be the number two option to score, which is absolutely atrocious to think about. You let Tobias Harris play the number three option, the number four option. Yes, he is egregiously overpaid in every way, shape, and form, but the guy can score. He's a career 17 points per game scorer. He's topped out at a little over 22. He can score the ball effectively. And if you're getting him open shot, he would shoot incredibly open for literal games over and over and over. Playing with that squad, that's a championship level squad. Yes, they're going to lose levels on defense with losing Ben Simmons, but they're holding together right now. And the improvement from CJ McCollum over Seth Curry is insane, in my opinion, because you're now dropping down Shake Milton to a reserve role from where he needs to be right now, and Seth Curry comes off the bench, you don't lose a step. That's a fantastic offensive lineup that really needs to be focused on. And that's a win for both teams. I don't know if it'll happen. I hope it does. But anytime you move a superstar or an NBA-level player, all-NBA-level player like Ben Simmons, that's what needs to happen. And I'm excited. I do want something to come of this. You're tired of all these rumors. They happen. They swirl. Dame's shooting everything down. I don't think that the Blazers will trade Dame. I think that when you have a superstar, until they really voice their opinion of saying, I want out, very similar to like a Jimmy Butler and Anthony Davis, superstars just don't get traded. They just don't. A player like CJ McCollum gets traded. A player like Ben Simmons, who is voice he wants out, gets traded. I don't see Dame Lillard leaving. I just don't. I think it'd be incredible for the league. I think it'd be a great storyline. But I think in the overall run, Dame Lillard stays with the Blazers, and they need to move CJ McCollum for a defensive first wing. 
getting Ben Simmons, everybody wins. You obviously would love to see a player like Dame Lord playing for the Knicks, playing in Madison Square Garden for 41 games, potentially in the playoffs. That is what makes basketball fun. A new report has come out and said Dame Lillard, after this contract is up, wants a two-year, $107 million extension to extend his time with whatever team that he's playing for, whether Blazers or whatever the next team may be. That will take him to being 36 years old at the end of that contract. I know Chris Paul has kind of changed the way that we kind of view older guards. Chris Paul is also the point guard. It's going to be very tough to think that you're paying a 36-year-old guard $51 million. And I know that it's a superstar-driven league. The cap will change, yada, yada, yada. It's a tough pill to swallow. And actually, that contra demand is actually swaying away GM candidates. Apparently, two candidates who are unnamed so far have actually dropped off and taken their name out of the hat for the Trailblazers GM role because that is just a commitment they're not willing to make. With that being said... That's kind of insane that you're willing to drop off when that is so far away. And usually the shelf life of GMs just aren't that far. You kind of got to go for it. So it's super interesting to see. And I'm really, really psyched to kind of just follow along with this and see how this goes. Because at some point you are going to see that trade deadline creep up. And where does Dame go? Does CJ actually move to the keep Nurkic? Do they go and get a defensive first center? There's a lot of questions that are going to be answered, and hopefully once the trade deadline comes, I hope we don't have to wait till the summer, but I hopefully that uh, trade deadline will make, make an appearance for us. Next up, we are focusing on the Indiana Pacers. I know we usually don't do that, and a lot of people aren't really talking about the Pacers, but a huge report has come out and saying that they are willing to blow it all up, and they, after their extremely slow start to the season, after finishing right now 6-12 and to start the year. It's a little bit difficult. They've rolled up a couple wins so far, but something's just not clicking. Yes, T.J. Warren has this kind of like phantom shoulder-knee injury combo. There's really no news coming out. When's he coming back? When's he not? It's He hasn't practiced. He has no contact, no nothing. He's just like there. Very confusing. He's a bona fide, really, really good player in the NBA. You saw him in the bubble essentially come out to be this 25, 26-point player, and you're missing that. Like That's a huge part of your offense. That weird fit of Turner and Sabonis has always been there, and they've always been in trade rumors for what seems like three years now, and nothing's come of that. They're kind of like the, just, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It's, it's something has to give for the Pacers. They're in this purgatory of, you know, what's coming? Like, what's coming from them? You have to make a decision. Sabonis, Turner, and Levert are all up, all available, and Malcolm Brogdon is kind of Stayed out of those rumors. Malcolm Brogdon is a very reliable player on a really reliable contract, making just over $20 million a year. We don't necessarily know what that means for the rest of the team. Sabonis has been the only player on the All-Star since Paul George has left. So is he going to leave? Is he going to be the one you build around? Turner's on a very contract-friendly deal. I don't really know. And we have an answer to that, in my opinion, and that's trade Sabonis. Sabonis has the most value, and yes, he made an all-star team, but in my opinion, that's a very, very fluky all-star team. A lot of injuries were replaced. He had a great year, 20, 12, and 5 assists. I think he potentially can be a Nikolai Jokic light, but playing with Miles Turner, it's just not going to work. You see them stretch the floor. They're not playing defense. Miles Turner is an incredible defender. He has led the league in blocks for, I believe, two years. On his way to a third one, he has constantly been in the top five of defensive player of the year on a really good deal. Those kind of players 
anchor defenses. You have you look at guys like Clint Capella. You look at a guy like Jared Allen. You look at the the, the I mean what Dwight Howard was able to do with the Orlando match with the four out. Keter Turgulu, Jameer Nelson led team, JJ Redick. Like that's the kind of impact that these kind of guys have. And Sabonis has a very great rep of being an offensive hub and also being a super unselfish guy. What kind of team could he fit on? And you kind of throw out some names. And the first one that I've actually thought of was De'Aaron Fox. I think that would be a really, really fun trade idea when you think about it. Uh, the ability of throwing in Sabonis and swinging over De'Aaron Fox. Is, if you look at that lineup, you got De'Aaron Fox, Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, and Miles Turner. I know it's not the full breakdown and, and rebuild that everyone's thinking of, but that's an awesome lineup in the East. You're getting a potential all-star level player in De'Aaron Fox. Probably the coolest guard and best guard they've had since Victor Oladipo when he was healthy. Malcolm Brogdon is able to take a step back, not be the initial offense, and step into that secondary playmaking role, which he is absolutely incredible in. Karis LeVert, if, if, if he can stay healthy, is just another great scoring shooting wing. TJ Warren, another great combo scoring wing who can rebound. Anchored by Miles Turner on defense. He can rebound. He can score. He can shoot. He can block shots. That's a really good team. But the question is, is Rick Carlisle the coach to do that? Rick Carlisle has never been good at developing talent. At least young talent, anyway. Luka Doncic didn't want Rick Carlisle as a coach. And that's kind of why they butted heads. And Rick Carlisle ended up you know, resigning from his post and leaving. You look at his time early on in, in Detroit. He left, and the next year, Detroit Pistons win the NBA Finals. I'm not saying it's a coincidence, but it's there. Then he goes to Indiana. He leaves. Goes to Dallas. Yes, he wins the championship with Dallas. Obviously, that's a great call. They didn't have young players in that team in any way, shape, or form. That was led by Dirk. You know, Dirk, J.J. Barea, and all these guys. You know, Jason Terry. Like, there wasn't, you know, young guys that he's developing that's just not what Rick Carlisle does. Rick Carlisle is a win-now coach. He's the guy that you bring in, which is why Indiana brought him in in the first place. They looked at their roster and said, we are ready to win now. Clearly, Carlisle and them are just not mixing. The talent is there, especially with a young guy like Chris Duarte. I mean, granted, he's 24, and you know, yes, he's a rookie, but he's playing well. If you're telling me that a lineup of De'Aaron Fox, Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. Warren, and Miles Turner isn't a top-five team in the East with Chris Duarte coming out of the bench. That's a damn good team. And they're young. They can still develop. They can still grow together and kind of see where that goes. But I don't think Rick Carlisle is that coach to develop that, especially if they're going to do an even more breakdown of that, if they're going to trade Sabonis, if they're going to trade LeVert and even start to break into that, you know, do we trade Turner, do we trade Warren, and just kind of go the Thunder route and just get a lot of young players and get a lot of picks, Carlisle has to be going after this year. I know that would make three coaches in three years, but except for mistakes, that's what they did last year with Bjorkstead. Said it wasn't a fit, got rid of him. If they're going to make that decision again this year, it's okay. You buy him out. You didn't sign him to a long, long-term deal anyway. It was only three years. You buy him out the last two, and you move on. But the fit has to be there. And when it comes to Indiana, Carlisle's not that. Another interesting trade rumor that I've heard is a three-team deal between the Pacers, Celtics, and the Sixers. This would include Dantas Bonus, Jeremy Lamb to the Celtics, Jalen Brown to the Sixers, as well as Ben Simmons to the Pacers. Again, it's not a full-on rebuild. It's a retool. 
but it's interesting. Let's break it down by each team. So you got Indiana, first off. So they're getting rid of Sabonis, and they're bringing in a guy like Ben Simmons. He's going to change the complete culture of that team. Malcolm Brogdon at the point guard. You have Karis LeVert. You have T.J. Warren. You have Ben Simmons and Miles Turner. That is a defensive shutdown roster. Ben Simmons can guard one through five. Malcolm Brogdon can guard one, two, one through three. Miles Turner is a defensive force who can stretch the floor and is willing to shoot a tremendous amount of threes per game, which Joel Embiid was not willing to do. T.J. Warren can shoot threes. Malcolm Brogdon can shoot threes. Karis LeVert can shoot threes. They all are athletic and play defense. That is a Rick Carlisle-type team. He can run options with a pick-and-roll of Ben Simmons and Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, Ben Simmons, T.J. Warren, Ben Simmons. Just incorporating a player like Ben Simmons who isn't an alpha dog, he's not a scorer, he's an incredible, gritty, grindy defender who can run in transition and make plays for others. There are a lot of scorers in that team. Duarte, Warren, LeVert, Brogdon. Those are scorers right there. They're ready to go. That would be an incredible fit for Ben. And also, he's out of the spotlight. Indiana is not a major city. It's not a big basketball city. When it comes to that, he can just go in there and play basketball. Doesn't worry about the press. Doesn't worry about the lights of New York or L.A. or Philadelphia. He can just go and play basketball. That's what he needs to do. That would be an incredible fit. Another cool one is incorporating Jalen Brown to the 76ers and getting him in a lineup with Joel Embiid. That would be just fire across the board. Tyrese Maxey, Steph Curry, Jalen Brown, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Defense, offense, superstars. I would pay so much money to see a Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid pick and roll for a long, long time. Jalen Brown has stepped up and showed that he can be a number one option. Him and Tatum are not mixing right now. They both want to score, and they both want to be the number one on their terms. They do not play well together. They are not meshing. They're both averaging and scoring incredible points. Their turnovers are high. Their assists are low. They're not making plays for others because they're just putting their heads down and scoring. They don't even really look excited when they're playing together when it comes to scoring the ball because if they're scoring high levels and they're losing, who cares? That would be amazing to see Jalen Brown and Joel Embiid in that offense. That's a title contender. That team competes with the Nets. That team competes with the Bucks, the Bulls, the Heat. That gives you options that Joel Embiid has never played with. Jalen Brown is a top-notch defender, a wing defender in this league. No, he's not as good as Ben Simmons, but that is an incredible upgrade from what they have right now. And being able to put that out there would be a next step and a huge step in the right direction when you're going to be playing against guys like James Harden, like Jimmy Butler, like Kevin Durant. You have to make those guys work. You have to play defense and get in their face. And on the current roster, they don't have those players. If you can put out even some defensive lineups of Matisse Thibel as well as Jalen Brown, you're looking real, real good on the defensive end. Switching it over to the Boston Celtics. Sabonis and Tatum on paper would be a weird fit. In my opinion, it works a lot well. The reason why I think it works well is because Sabonis is extremely unselfish. He can go there, you can run the offense from the elbow for him, but he has averaged a career high over five assists last season. He will give the ball to Tatum. Sabonis wants to win. You put out a lineup immediately, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, 
Sabonis, and Robert Williams. You keep a defensive stalwart in there, Robert Williams, kind of floating around, starting to expand his range, but is mainly going to stay in the paint. Sabonis has showed that he can extend his range as well, shooting a lot of threes, doing really well, shooting about 34%. Not great, but you have to at least put a hand out. Tatum has full range of that offense and can do whatever, whenever, and will naturally start to play make because he isn't playing alpha ball. He's just going out there and scoring and doing what he needs to do. Dennis Schroeder, instant offense. Marcus Smart, defense. That's what he's there for, the grit and grind type. Is that a title contender? I don't know. I think that they're definitely at least not a playing team. I really want to see what Tatum would be able to do when Jalen Brown's not there and in that role of Sabonis. I definitely think it's a top six team. I think it potentially could be a home court team. But the question is going to be the defense. I think Marcus Smart is obviously an incredible perimeter defender. Sabonis and Tatum aren't necessarily the best defensive fit, but that offense is going to put up points. That offense is going to be up there with a lot of great teams. And I think it'd be interesting. I think it spreads a lot of players around and trades superstars. And that's what people want to see. And also, you bring in a guy like Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb's a reliable veteran. Unfortunately, he's been hurt. He can shoot threes. You bring him off the bench. You can start him. He's got long size. Six foot six, six seven. Great wingspan. It's depth. It's the depth the Celtics need. You know, they're not putting a lot of trust in Aaron Neesmith. Peyton Pritchard really hasn't played that much. Romeo Langford is really not really developed into much of anything so far. I want to see what the Celtics do with that lineup. I would I would love to see that Sixers lineup and getting Ben to play basketball again. That's what we're looking for. You know, getting these options, seeing what they look like because these rumors are here for a reason. Yes, people like to talk, but there is some seriousness to it and it has to be talked about. And I am interested to see what it's going to look like because this trade deadline is going to be an intense one. But the rumors are here. The rumors are swirling. And we got to see what, what it looks like. Last but not least, Seattle Supersonics could be back before we know it. What does that look like for the league? Adam Silver, Adam Silver has talked about expansion. And he thinks it's going to come sooner rather than later. Minimum 2024 to 2025. They're thinking that Seattle could be back with the wild success that the Seattle Kraken have had early on with attendance, as well as just polarizing pictures of how they look and fit in the league. Seattle has a fan base. They have the arena. They have the stadium. They have everything. Let's get Seattle Sonics back in the NBA. It's good. You bring the legends back, and it would be incredible for the game. Seattle, as well as Vegas, I know you're kind of copying the NHL on that standpoint, but they've set the market. They've showed that you can do it and have success and bring fans in. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. You want to see expansion. You want to see this. I would love to see what it looks like from a protection standpoint. I haven't really been watching the NBA from that standpoint since the last expansion in the early 2000s and 90s when the Raptors and Heat and Bobcats were around. You know, I haven't really been into that in that point. So I'm excited. I think it'd be very creative to kind of see what teams protect who and players and just seeing the movement from that perspective. With that being said, I'm super excited to see how this all turns out, how the rumor mill flows, and let's just check it out. I appreciate you guys coming by and listening, giving us a follow on Instagram. Come check by Spotify, what we're looking at. YouTube, we are Courtside Views Podcast. Check us out on Twitter as well. Appreciate everything you guys are coming. Thank you guys for checking out episode two of Courtside Views.